listening to Theology and Apologetics with Thomas Fretwell. Okay, welcome back to the Theology and Apologetics podcast. Today we are going to continue our series that we started last week on the subject, What Does It Mean to Be Human? So this is part two in that series. Now, last week, if you if you haven't listened to the podcast, please um, go onto the podcast feed and f- find part one, or else this will make no sense to you and listen to that. But last week, we laid the foundation for this subject by looking at this issue from uh, a worldview perspective. So we looked at atheism and we looked at theism, these two different worldviews, and we briefly interacted with how they answer this question. It was it was really just a teasing kind of introduction. We ended that by noting that these two worldviews do have some very uh, stark differences into how they answer this question. And we noted that this is most clearly seen in the issue of origins. We read that quote by Frank Zindler, the head of the American Atheists, where he considers Jesus to be out of a job because biological evolution has proved that Adam and Eve didn't exist. So this was a, you know, was a provocative statement there. Um, but these two worldviews, atheism and Christianity, do both um, have very different understandings of what it means to be human. Obviously, one states that man is a product of um, divine creation and the other sees man as just a result of unguided natural processes. Now, this episode, we're going to focus in a little bit more on this issue of origins because a lot of the debate hinges on this issue. So to set things off, let's just lay down a definition. What do we mean when we say the evolutionary view of humanity? So to understand this, we need to really have a a definition of what we mean by evolution. So I'm going to take what's known as the GTE, the General Theory of Evolution. And the definition I'm using is by uh, G.A. Kirkut, in a book from Oxford University Press, he says, All living things in the world have arisen from a single source which itself came from an inorganic form. Okay, that's a very good and broad definition of what we mean by the general theory of evolution. Now, I just note that he does include the, the issue of the origin of life in his, in his definition here, which I think is good because a lot of people will try and say that obviously evolution is just a mechanism that happens after life. And while that is technically true, I believe a broad theory must include some some idea or some attempt to deal with the issue of where first life came from. So he includes it in the definition, and that's broadly where, where we're going with this. Now, most people obviously have heard about evolution. They associate it immediately with Charles Darwin and his book On the Origin of Species, published in 1859. Now, Darwin's legacy was to actually posit a specific mechanism that could explain the origin of species, and he called this natural selection in that book. Now, a little later, this got mixed with Mendelian genetics into the new synthesis, and basically now what we know as neo-Darwinian theory is basically the reigning paradigm that we have today. Now, if you go to, let's say, the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History, very famous um, leading university in the world, they have a uh, a natural history, uh, a human origins website, and on this website, it says this. Now listen to this, because this is important. It says, part of what it means to be human is how we became human. Okay, Part of what it means to be human is how we became human. Now this is a true statement, I believe, and it, it's pivotal to this issue of understanding our identity. You see, the issue of origins is vitally important to human identity. There's no way around it. Where we came from does play into who we are. Now, What's funny about this on the Smithsonian website is that you'll find this quote just below a large picture of a human hand and the human hand is being outstretched and it's reaching across and from the other side of the picture is there is an outstretched chimpanzee arm. 
that is leaning across and their fingers kind of are pointed to one another and right in the middle of this picture they they touch just touching the ends now if you're familiar with this image you might know that there's a real subtle significance to this image okay because what they are doing is actually recreating the famous painting from the Sistine Chapel uh, known as the creation of Adam it's an iconic image you've seen it um, if you if you ever seen the ET original ET posters you have the same kind of image the alien hand reaching out and touching the human hand but yeah, I mean this is all just playing off this this image the creation of Adam the, the fresco on, on the um, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel uh, Michelangelo's masterpiece there in the Sistine Chapel and in this particular part of the fresco you have God on one side and you have him reaching out his hand and touching Adam and it you know symbolizing the creation of the first man Adam and that's the symbolism there so when <laughs> we look at this picture on the Smithsonian website we see that uh, the the side where God's hand is in the original has now been replaced with the hand of an ape and the symbolism here is subtle but very very powerful it's creating the original image but it's now saying man has been created in quotes by the primate ancestor from which he evolved okay because you must remember that Darwinian evolution posits that all life forms today have evolved from an original primordial life form and from this life came all the diversity that we see today via a process of totally natural causes okay now you'll often see this illustrated in a, a tree of the famous tree of life Darwin had one uh, in his famous diary and we see them today uh, beautifully filled in to you know way past what the evidence can warrant uh, all over the internet but what we're doing today is we're not actually looking to get into the specifics of the creation evolution debate and, and argue and look, and look at whether Darwinian theory is a good theory for origins. That, you know, that's a completely different debate. But we are looking at it in the sense of seeing which views and what the effects of them are on human identity. So we can actually assume, let's assume for the moment, that the Darwinian, evolu Darwinian evolution is true. And let's see what that does for human identity. Now on the Smithsonian family tree, if you go onto the Smithsonian website that we were talking about, they have their own tree of life on there, which kind of walks you up the, the, the tree of human evolution. Now remember Darwin suggested, he, he had this kind of, he suggested an unbroken evolutionary chain of life from simple molecules to humans. And this chain analogy gave birth to the idea of missing links. You know, obviously you think of a chain and it's made up of, of hundreds of links altogether, isn't it? This was the, where the term missing links comes from, this analogy. Now the whole kind of history of human anthropology is basically an attempt to fill in the gaps in the supposed evolutionary chain to find these links that complete the chain. This is, this is human anthropology and this is um, what these human trees of evolution are attempting to do. Now on the Smithsonian tree, obviously some evolutionists order the things slightly differently but the Smithsonian are, are an authoritative establishment so we're using their tree as our base here. They go from our earliest human ancestors the Ardipithecus group and this is the famous group where you'll find the famous Ardi, Ardipithecus rabidus, 4.4 million year old chimp-like ancestor that stood up and walked and it'll then move you up to the Australopithecus group. And This is obviously probably the most famous one, Australopithecus afarensis um, better known and more commonly known as Lucy. This was the supposedly the longest lived and best known of the early human species. And the tree will then move you up to the Paranthropus group and finally into the Homo group. So you know, obviously in the Homo group we have Homo habilis, Homo erectus, Homo neanderthalensis and then finally Homo sapiens. You see now the more 
The more popular way, now we see these trees obviously and they're, they're very useful for what they are, but the, the more popular way that people are taught human evolution is by seeing the very typical monkey to man progression charts. Okay, we've all seen these, haven't we? On one side, it's, it starts off as an ape and then gradually, in a very neat and tidy progression, it moves up to uh, Homo sapiens, to the man. If you Google, just Google uh, you know, monkey to man human evolution chart and you'll, you'll see hundreds of these things. Now, um, I'm going on one from the National Geographic. They often do things like this. And if you look at it, it's, this, it's a lovely, neat and tidy progression. Of human evolution, it looks so you know so beautifully fitted. Everything there is correct. However, such a neat progression is really a fantasy, and and many evolutionists themselves know this. Let me read you a quote that comes from Bernard Wood, uh, an article in the New Scientist. He says this. He says there is a popular image of human evolution that you'll find all over the place. On the left of the picture, there's an ape, and on the right, a man. Between the two is a succession of figures that become ever more like humans. Our progress from ape to human looks so smooth, so tidy. It's such a beguiling image that even the experts are loath to let it go. But it is an illusion. Okay, Article from the New Scientist there. Now, again, we're not going to get into the specifics of this. I just share that for what it's worth. Let's now have a look at what does this belief, this belief of Darwinian evolution, do to the question of human identity and also the, I remember we said in the first first podcast that this is a worldview issue you know who we are talks about the meaning we have and the purpose we have and the value we have as human beings these these questions are all connected to this issue so in this view in the evolutionary view of humanity humanity is really nothing more than a highly evolved primate that means that our existence is a mere accident the outcome of time chance and natural selection ultimately Mankind holds no privileged position in the universe. Or as the late Stephen Jay Gould, um, he was a, a leading evolutionary biologist and paleontologist, he wrote this. He says, humans are a tiny and accidental evolutionary twig, a little mammalian afterthought with a curious evolutionary invention called the human brain. Okay, how do you like that? A little mammalian afterthought. That's what you are. Uh, in a similar vein, Princeton ethicist Peter Singer, he's well known for his provocative statements. He often bemoans the special status man has afforded. Um, he has a book called Unsanctifying Human Life. Um, and this is a quote in this book. He says this. He says, all we are doing is catching up with Darwin. He showed in the 19th century that we are simply animals. Humans had imagined we were a separate part of creation, that there was some magical line between us and them. Darwin's theory undermined the foundations of that entire Western way of thinking about the place of our species in the universe. Okay, we are simply animals, a little mammalian afterthought. Okay, you see, these issues impact how we answer the question. Okay, how it impacts how we answer the question, and it also impacts what our purpose and meaning in life is. Let me read to you a quote from the evolutionary biologist Jerry Coyne. He says this quote. There is no special purpose to your life. No more extrinsic purpose than a squirrel or an armadillo. I don't know why he chose those two particular things, but ultimately humans have no more special purpose than a squirrel or an armadillo. You see how demeaning this view is to humanity and, and you know, the effect that this has when you keep drumming this into people, that you're an accident, there's no meaning, there's no purpose to your life, you're an afterthought. And 
obviously I understand they say that this is the truth and we need to make our own meaning. We'll maybe deal with this a bit more in the next podcast. Let me read Peter Singer again, Princetonian ethicist. He says this, life as a whole had no meaning. He says life began, as the best available theories tell us, in a chance combination of molecules. It then evolved through random mutations and natural selection. All this just happened. It did not happen for any purpose. And I could repeat quotes like this ad nauseum, really. There's just so many. So let's sum this up. What are we saying here? What does this view that we are simply animals mean for humanity? In in the words of, of their own proponents, it says this, there is no meaning and there is no purpose to your life. There is nothing unique about mankind at all. Obviously, they would say that in an evolutionary sense, we've evolved uh, much higher than the animals in that in one way. But ultimately, there's nothing really unique. Human exceptionalism is something that is frowned upon today. Now, as we're going to look at next time, this view of humanity does lead us down some very dark roads. And in the next podcast, we're going to follow down those dark roads a bit. Because when there's no meaning and there's no purpose, uh, there's no objective standard for morality... Uh, We have to answer questions about why should humans be valued, why are some humans more valuable than others. All these questions play into these issues and they're all pivotal to understanding what it means to be human. Who are we as humans? Now this is one uh, line of answer from a particular worldview. And obviously I understand there's variation within the viewpoint, but this is, you know, I've quoted from their own sources here. And after we examine this view, we're going to see where this takes. We're going to look at the biblical view of humanity and see where that leads us. So we've probably got two more podcasts on this issue here. Um, We're going to leave it there for today. I'll leave you just to ponder that. I know that's been a a lot in a short amount of time, so you can chew on that. And I hope you tune in next time. Thank you for listening today. Again, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We're also on SoundCloud. Uh, Leave a review if you like the podcast. And if you do have any questions, you can submit them through the website that you'll hear at the end of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. For more resources, please go to thomasfretwell.com.